Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you so much. If we haven't met yet, my name is Eugene, and it is a joy and an honor to be with you again. I want to say hello to all the campuses, and one more time, let's give a big shout out to Monica as well again. Incredible. Uh, I've never done this, but we're going to slow jam the sermon with Monica, so come on up. No, just kidding. Just kidding. That would be quite interesting. Hey, um, I thought uh, since this is, uh, gosh, numerous months that I've had the privilege of joining you here at your church, that it would be a good time to share a little bit of some photos of my family as well with you. So uh, here are some photos. This is uh, my wife and I when we first met. Uh, We were in a movie called The Beauty and the Beast. Uh, True story, I looked like this when I went to Korea, because our wedding ceremony was in Korea, and my mother-in-law looked at me straight face. She said, if you want to marry my daughter, cut your hair and shave. I was so offended, so I looked at her and I said, yes, ma'am. Our wedding photo on the bottom left, and then our traditional Korean wedding photo, Uh, And then we were in another movie. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but my wife and I were in another movie called Crazy Reckless Asians. There we are right there. It was a classic. If you've never seen the movie, it's incredible. And then our last photo, this is our family right here. And so uh, this past year, yes. And if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Listen for God's word. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. So today, folks, we're speaking about the topic of busyness. Now, I want to remind you, this isn't my choice, per se. In the Beginning of the series, your leaders conducted a survey among your church family and congregation, and they asked, what are some of the pressing issues, the pressing conversations that are real challenges in your life, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your family, and one of the things that you listed was the real challenge of this thing called busyness. Now, I want to pause for a moment and say kudos to you for being honest and real to yourself. Now, the challenge today is that it's one thing 
to identify with our minds. It's one thing to have a revelation, and then it takes a whole new level of courage to act upon what you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. So today our topic is on busyness, and then if we're a little bit more honest, there's this reality called distraction that I think impacts every single one of us. So in this room right now, it's possible not everyone struggles with busyness, but I do believe that in our culture today, every one of us struggles with levels of distraction. Now, before we get into the practical aspect of this topic, I want to give you a little bit of some background on what we just read here in Luke chapter 10. Now, we're introduced to two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha being the older sister, Mary the younger sister. They have a brother by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they appear in the Gospels on numerous instances. However, this is the first time that we're introduced to Martha and to Mary. Now, we don't know much about them besides the fact that they're related together. We don't know too much about their families. There's no mention about their parents or their occupations. There are some scholars who believe that they might be living alone. We don't know. But one of the things that they're in general agreement with is that they're fairly young. Some speculating that they might be teenagers at the, at the oldest, probably early 20s. And so Martha encounters Jesus in some level or another. She's moved by Jesus, fascinated by Jesus, compelled by Jesus. And therefore she says, I want to welcome you into my house. Now, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they live in a small town called Bethany. And Bethany is a small town outside of a larger city called Jerusalem. And so Jesus accepts the invitation. And as the story goes, Martha begins to go about her list of chores in her desire to be hospitable to Jesus. Now, there is, in my opinion, a lazy interpretation of this particular passage. The lazy interpretation is you should not walk away thinking Jesus is calling me not to be responsible, not to serve, and not to be hospitable. That's not the point of this particular passage. In fact, the word that is used to describe Martha and her activity is a word called diaconian. And diaconian is a really interesting word. Some of you might be familiar with it. The word deacon which means to serve and to have a servitude spirit to be hospitable comes from that word diaconian. Now, we're going to dive into this passage a bit more later, but let's talk about busyness. There's numerous things, numerous aspects about busyness that we can speak of, but for the sake of our sermon today, I want to highlight three points that I think converge to create at times chaos and unsettledness in our lives. So three things. Here we go. Number one is that you're not imagining things. 
we're living in a very busy, fast-paced culture. Makes sense. I know it sounds really simplistic. What's the rootedness of a busyness, distracted culture in life? It's we're living in a busy culture and society. Sociologists tell us that particularly in the last 30 years, there's been a significant jump in what people call activity or a demand for productivity in our lives. And so as a result, there's less emphasis on relationships and more emphasis on transactions. So you get that? Less emphasis on the relational component and more emphasis on transactions. There's this focus on what are you creating, producing, and what are you adding to our society? Now there's good things, but there's also dangerous things about this as well. I'll give you an example. In the United States, 86% of men and 67% of women work more than 40 hours a week. It's among the highest in the world. In the United States, it also says that the average American gets less, two hours less sleep per night in comparison to the larger world. I don't know about you, but I need more sleep. There's significant shifts and changes. Now, I'm going to share one more statistic, and it's not because I'm saying this is a bad thing. I'm simply suggesting proof that there's been major shifts in our American society in the last 20 and 30 years. In the 1960s, for example, only 20% of women worked. In our world today, in our country today, 70% of families have both adults that are working. So you can kind of tell that in the last several decades, there's been a major shift. And as a result, we're not imagining things. We live in a busy, fast-paced culture. Now, I just spoke about jobs, just about our occupation. If we were to talk about chores, our to-do list, our Costco runs, about your baby, or two babies, or three babies, sleepless nights, kids becoming teenagers, there's sports, there's AAU ball, there's debate teams, there's after-school clubs, there's more sports, we have parents that we're taking care of, there's grandparents in the picture, we have neighbors, there's church, there's section groups, and after a while, it feels a bit overwhelming. So that's the first reason. The second reason why these are realities is something that we're going to simply call identity. Now, what do I mean by identity? This is fascinating. The reason why this is significant is that they all work together, is that because we live in a busy, fast-paced culture, we now begin to deem our identity not in our essence or our being, but in what we do and in what we accomplish. So as a result, if I'm busy, I consider myself more important. 
I consider myself more valuable. I consider myself more significant. I must matter because I'm busy. And it's not just the way that I see myself. When I begin to look at other people, there's been so much research that corroborates that for those who are busier, we have a higher view of that particular person. So our identity is not on being sons and daughters of God. It's on our jobs, our possessions, our material wealth, and the list goes on and on. Remember in 10, 20 years ago, when people asked you the question, how are you doing? Our natural default answer was, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. But now, without even thinking, the majority of us will simply say, I'm busy. I'm so busy. Now, you might not know this, but we've been conditioned in a busy world to say that because our identity is in our busyness. Now, here's the third factor that we'll just touch on, and it's something called upward mobility. Meaning that in this particular cultural landscape, we feel like the answer to life, the purpose to life is to have bigger houses, more possessions, bigger cars, more of this. And as a result, we end up in a game called the comparison game. And we begin to compare our lives, our families, our children, our spouse, our whatever it might be to someone else. But we're not just comparing ourselves with uh, relatives or classmates or workmates that in our world of technology, we see ourselves comparing ourselves with the rest of the world. Our lives in comparison to the Jones, the Smiths, the Kims, the Wongs, the Tanakas, the Patels, the Johansons. Have I covered everybody here? (laughs) See, our definition of success, if we're not careful, in an upward mobility world is what? The person who has the most toys wins. This is why I love the wisdom of Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So that's our first task this morning, is to identify the real challenges, the storm that's brewing in our larger culture. Now, you could drink the Kool-Aid, you can swim in these waters, but the reason why I think you listed busyness as one of the topics you wanted the church to address is that you realize this isn't God's will. You realize this isn't life-giving. You realize it's not sustainable. It's not flourishing in my life. So then let's talk about the remedy, the antidote. What is God's heart, God's will for us in our lives? Now, it's going to sound really ironic, but I want to give you some things to do. Not to overcomplicate your life, but let me explain why we have to speak about things to do. Because the easy part 
is to know. Revelation is the easy part. The practical commitment to embody and pursue these things actually takes work. So in other words, if you choose to do nothing in your life, then I'll tell you exactly what happens is this. This is the wind of our larger culture. If you do nothing, the status quo happens. But if you want to build a different culture, you actually have to be very prayerful, very strategic, be very intentional. I'll just say it, it's going to take a little work. And I know that's the tension of our sermon is that as we're talking about combating busyness, it's going to require some work in your life. The reason why I have this square is because uh, I love this principle of rule of life. What are your values that shape you? What are the commitments that shape you? What's the trajectory of how you want to live your life? That's what we mean by a rule of life. Let me give you an example about the intentionality that we need. Some years ago, my wife and I, about maybe 19, 20 years ago, uh, we were planting this church called Quest Church in Seattle, Washington. And guess what? Life got really busy. And it wasn't just church and ministry. There was uh, a child and then two children. And then at this point, I should probably confess to you, I struggle with this very topic. I'm speaking to you not as a graduate, but as someone who is studying, desiring to learn how to better practice this in my life. Maybe it's because I'm a child of hardworking immigrants who didn't have a chance to go to school. And uh, I, like my parents, after school, went to the family grocery store, worked from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. every single day except Sunday. It's in my blood and veins. In fact, my wife, who happens to be a marriage and family therapist, she eventually helped me to confess something I could never confess prior to spending some time with her, and it's this. I will be a recovering workaholic for the rest of my life. But it was that moment that I confessed it, that I named it, and that I owned it, that I began to work on this rule of life. But in this 18, 19 years ago, because of busyness, it caused a strain in our marriage. Now, I'm sure we can empathize strain in relationships. So there was a tension that was brewing, and it was because I was unable or unwilling to make time for my wife and to be present in our marriage. So what did my wife do? Well, she took my planner, and back then... There were no such things as smartphones. We had this thing called a daily planner in which you open to the calendar. And with this thing called a pen, kids, you wrote down your schedule. And so, unbeknown to me, she grabs my daily planner. And because she wanted me not just to talk about wanting to spend more time with her, but to actually be intentional... She goes into my daily planner and for every Friday for 52 weeks, she begins to write down 
pockets of time specifically set aside for dates with Minhi. The first week, she wrote down, date with my beautiful wife, Minhi. Second week, spend time with my beautiful bride, Minhi. Third week, spend time with Minhi, who's never wrong. <laughs> Number four, four Fridays later, gaze deeply into Minhi's eyes. Week number five was strange. Buy nice shoes for Minhi. But you see, my point is that, think about this. All of our schedules are busy. We utilize tools that we have, like our computers, apps, phones, to schedule in our work, our appointments, our drop-offs, our pickups, the dinners, the chores, the bill payments. I don't know about you, those tools are incredibly helpful. But have we ever considered the opposite? If we believe that Sabbath and rest and prayer and breathing and dates and presence and walking is good for our human lives and relationships, why don't we ever schedule that in? It matters. That's the reason why we need to have a rule of life. So let's talk about the rule of life. The first thing that I would urge you is that may Jesus be part of our rule of life in everything that we do. May it be the center of everything that we do. Now, why do I say this? I think in this particular story, here's Martha who invites Jesus and without even asking Jesus what Jesus wants, she just goes to work. She has her plans. She has her agenda. She made her decision what she wants to do. Her heart is in the right place. But you notice she never asks Jesus. Sometimes I worry that for us as Christians, we're so busy doing what we think is the work of Christ, but we're not spending time in God's word, in prayer, asking Jesus, will you guide me in my life? Friends, we need Jesus. We don't just worship Jesus on a Sunday. We depend and trust and lean on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, every single day. And with Jesus, we realize that this is where we find our identity, our worth, and our value. Trust me, friends. Jesus right now, he's looking at every single one of you going, man, I love you so much more because of your degree. So much more because of your work. So much more because of the square footage on your house. Now, I'm not knocking those things. I just want you to know that when Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of your soul, his love for you is not dependent and contingent on those things. May your identity be found in Jesus alone. 
Man, I love how even for Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is right before Jesus gets baptized and he enters into public ministry. Why is this interesting? It's because God, the Father, declares these words of love over his son, and Jesus hasn't done a single thing in his ministry. He hasn't taught any huge sermons or conducted miracles or healings. Before he's done anything, God the Father says, I am well pleased with you. And I pray that you would sense and feel and experience God's delight in your life. Here's square two. Rest and Sabbath. When you read the Bible cover to cover, it's not just a one-time topic. The conversations, teachings, uh, commandments to rest and to observe the Sabbath, it is throughout the scriptures. Just the word Sabbath alone appears on 70 unique occasions in the scriptures. Now, I want you to imagine Jesus' situations. He was pursued. Everybody wanted a piece of him. I can imagine the disciples going to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus. This person wants to see you. This person wants to meet with you. This person wants to endorse you. This person wants to eat with you. This person wants to support you. This person wants to make an offering to you. We have a meeting in Bethany, in Jerusalem, in Galilee. We've got to get to this place and that place. And in the midst of all of this, what we learn throughout the Gospels is that Jesus, fully God, fully human, he constantly, regularly, intentionally retreats to pause, to pray, to seek God's heart. And my question to you, friends, is this. If Jesus the Christ, who is God and perfect man, if Jesus Christ needed to do this, how much more must we learn to rest and Sabbath in our lives? I love the Sabbath. I love the Sabbath because the Sabbath declares to me that God is enough. The Sabbath in itself declares that God is God, and I hate to burst anyone's bubble, you're not. God's got it in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Here's the third thing, and we're going to simply call the word presence. You see, I think this passage isn't so much about busyness as it is about distraction. In fact, the specific word that's used in this passage in Greek called perispeto, that word literally means someone who's pulled or dragged in different directions. Now, the NIV uses the word distracted, but I want you to imagine a human being who's pulled, who's dragged in multiple directions at the same time. And as a result, we see what happens to Martha. Martha. 
She begins to well up with worry and anxiety and jealousy and envy. And she says, well, Jesus, look what Mary is doing. I'm here being the perfect host, wanting to do these things. Her heart begins to buckle under that kind of pressure. Have you been there? Are you there? Is it possible that you're spending time with your children and you're physically there, but your presence isn't there? For our children and teens that are here, is it possible that your parents want to spend time with you and you're being distracted by Snapchat and Instagram and our smartphones? It's important that even at this young age, we learn the power And the importance, the love language of presence. Is it possible that you might be uh, sitting at church listening to a sermon, distracted? Some years ago, I was uh, hanging out with my eight, nine-year-old daughter. And I asked Trinity, in my desire to become a better father, I asked her what I considered to be an innocent question that I thought would not go anywhere. I asked her the question, Trinity, what are three ways that I can become a better father? I was shocked because her answer came instantaneously, as if she had a list all prepared somewhere. No joke, I was shocked. And so she began to read her, I guess, top three things. Number one, she says, Dad, Appa, which means dad in Korean, Appa, you need to play more games with me and my brother and sister. So I said, okay, I got you, I got you, but I'll still crush you. (laughs) Number two, she says, Dad, I think you should be on your phone and computer less. Is it getting hot in here or what? (laughs) It got a little personal. The third thing that she said, she goes, Dad, you need to have funnier jokes. (laughs) That was unacceptable. You're grounded (laughs) for life. Go to your room right now. If I could sum up those three things, I really feel like what she's saying is, Dad, I need you to be present. It's one of the lost love languages in this particular culture. In this culture, the gift of presence gets lost and shuffled. What does presence look like for you? Do you know that in our world today, the average person above age two spends five and a half hours around media consumption every single day? Insurance companies, for the first time, are talking about technology addiction and why it needs to be covered by insurance plans. Psychologists are telling us that they're concerned that parents aren't having these conversations with their kids and they believe the reason is because parents themselves don't want to abide by those same rules. 
because they know that in our culture today, the mantra for the next generation is not do what I say, but do what I do. A New York Times article some years ago, fascinating. It talks about the way that in our last 20, 30 years, even vacation has shifted in our world. 20, 30 years ago, vacations, according to this article, was seen as an on-off switch. But now, because of technology, the metaphor used for vacation isn't on-off, but it's now more like a dimmer switch. And it makes sense. Here's the last thing, and it's this. It's the word grace. Friends, if you have the courage to have the hard conversations about the rules of life, about your values. If you have the courage to say, you know what? Uh, This is not sustainable. We need something that's more kingdom-based, more biblically rooted. The reality, friends, is that we're going to mess up sometimes because we're human beings. In our relationship with our parents, our children, our siblings, with our spouses, we're going to mess up. There are going to be times that we might break some of the rules that we have for ourselves. And here's the thing. We need grace. I love how in this story, Jesus isn't just lambasting and scolding Martha with tenderness. Like a loving father, he says, Martha, Martha. And I pray that you would say, we commit to this value, a rule of life, of grace in our life. Here's the closing thing, it's this. I love this story because what we find is that in the midst of Martha busy, just going at it from zero to 100, here's Mary at the feet of Jesus listening so intently at every word. Now, Many of us might not know this scene, this story. It's a crazy story. It's scandalous. Why is it scandalous? Because during the time of Jesus, women were not allowed to be at the feet of a rabbi, someone like Jesus. You see why Jesus is saying that what Mary has chosen to do, countercultural to the societal norms, is beautiful. The good news, Jesus welcomes you at his presence and he is there for you. All those who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, exhausted, cynical, worn out, Jesus welcomes you into his presence. The question is, will you come? Not just once for a 75-minute service on a Sunday. But will you come on a daily basis to say, Jesus, I'm here for you. I want to hear from you. I want you to guide me. I want you to tell me that my identity is rooted in you. So God, we thank you again so much. God, we love you. 
and we love you because the Bible clearly says that you first loved us. God, I pray that every single person under the sound of my voice right now, that they would hear your beautiful words of invitation, that we would come to you and that we would be at your feet. I pray that we would give our lives to you, that we would recommit our lives to you, and that we would make you the center of our rule of life. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.